and darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How Peace.
Providence. Nice to see all of you here this morning. Uh, my name is Kathy Mack, and I'm the Director of Administration here at Providence. And it's my privilege to welcome you. If you've been visiting Providence and you would like to begin to receive some information about happenings, things going on around here, um, I would invite you to go back to the guest kiosk and pick up our uh, orange welcome card. Um, it just asks for your name and email. You can put it in the box back there or hand it to someone who has one of these name tags on and you will begin to receive some emails um, from us. 
Um, for those of us who um, have been attending Providence for a while, as I mentioned, new people, I want to encourage you this morning um, to take time to introduce yourself to someone after service who maybe you don't know. Um, as I stand out um, in the foyer, and I've been attending Providence quite a while, there are mornings, like this morning, where I feel like maybe every third person I don't know. Uh, so this is an exciting time, so please take a moment and introduce yourself to someone this morning. Um, also at the kiosk are uh, prayer request cards. We have the privilege as a staff to pray confidentially for the needs of our congregation. Um, you can also go to the homepage of our website. You have to scroll all the way to the bottom. And there is a portion there that says, connect with us. You can fill out the information requested, and a staff person in the office will receive that prayer request or anything else you might need to communicate to us. I want to invite you all to join us this Wednesday um, at 7 p.m. in the cafe for our time of elder-led prayer. This is a really unique time for us as a congregation to gather and pray for our church and our community and our nation. On July 10th is our next men's breakfast. And I just wanna um, just give a word of encouragement for, I see lots of faces who attended the women's breakfast yesterday. It was early at 8 a.m., but people kept it casual. There were 60 of us who gathered. Um, at my own table, there were, uh, we had an age range from 23 um, to 81. Three of us were people who've been at Providence for a while, and three of us, three were brand new in the last year and a half. And it was just a really wonderful morning of sharing, so I want to thank the women's ministry team for organizing that. So men, I'm encouraging you to please come to the next men's breakfast. It's a really wonderful opportunity, um, a brief hour and 15 minutes um, to connect with people who you're walking or want to walk shoulder to shoulder with in faith. Um, we're also on July 11th having our Discover Providence. It's gonna be held at both services, 9 and 10.30. It'll be in rooms 16 and 17. Discover Providence is for people who have begun recently to attend here who have questions about maybe our history, what we believe and where we're headed. So registration is helpful for that because we do serve light refreshments and if you have any questions about that, you can ask Ian Shire or myself. So I would like to invite our Director of Student Ministries, Caleb Watson, up um, to celebrate our high school graduates and their parents. Oh, good morning. She stole my thunder. My name is Caleb. I'm the pastor of Student Ministries. And uh, this is a very special Sunday for me because we get to celebrate our graduating seniors. And part of how we do that is simply remembering, giving you all opportunity to see how far they've come. And so I'd like to invite the graduating seniors and their parents up while we watch a, a video commemorating them, and then I'm going to give them a brief charge.
does all of us good to see all of you standing up there this morning. So statistics tell us that 70% of students will walk away from the faith once they get to college. And people have proposed a number of reasons for why this statistic is the case, but I really think it boils down to one thing, love. That when, when they get to college, they discover that they love freedom, friends, parties, pills, you name it, more than God. And they're left asking the question, why should I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Why should I pass on all these experiences that the world is offering me? Why should I love God more? And my guess is that you will be asking that question rather soon. And so I just wanted to remind you that is actually a very simple answer. Why should you love God more? Because God loved you more. There's gonna be plenty of things in the next four years and really for the rest of your life that's going to profess to love you and want what's best for you. They will claim that they are more deserving of your affections, of your obedience than God. But as you have experienced, talk is cheap. And what's gonna happen is eventually those things will fail you. They will leave you high and dry when you need them most or when life becomes difficult. Romans 5 tells us that while we were in our worst state, sinners and enemies of God, that he demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus to die in your place. And what that means is that he has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything he has said and does is for your flourishing. It's so that you can have an abundant life. God loves you more. And I believe that you know that. But it's not just enough to have that information. It has to become real to you. It has to quicken your heart. It has to stir your affections. Then and only then will you love God more. And so can I encourage you to do two things to that end? First, stay rooted in his love. Nothing chokes out love quite like distance. It has the power to suffocate even the strongest flame, which means that we have to prioritize maintaining that fire, that, that love. And so take the time each day to behold the love that God has lavished upon you and allow his love to bind you to him. Open your Bibles, pray, reflect on how God has revealed himself in your life. And then second, stay rooted to people who love him. The company that you will keep will always make or break you, but now more so than ever, it's important to surround yourself with those who will spur you on toward love and good deeds. So don't settle for a live stream. Don't settle for a podcast. Get involved in a local church that will do life with you and help grow your affections for Christ. Guys, I love you. We love you, and we are so proud of you. And we can't wait to hear what God is going to do in and through you in this next stage of life. And wherever that takes you, I challenge you, love God more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your matchless love that you would pour that out upon us so freely in Jesus. We lift up these students who are very soon entering the next phase of life, and we echo the prayer of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. 
We pray that out of your glorious riches, you might strengthen them to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And we also pray for their parents. We ask that you would, they, they would be diligent in prayer, able and available to advise and trusting in this truth that you love their son or daughter more. And now, Father, we ask that you would bless them and keep them, that you would make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them, that you would turn your face toward them and you would give them peace. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. church with that let's stand together and begin our praises to the king our god who loves us and gave his son for us we won't fear the battle we won't fear the night we will walk the valley with you by our side you will go before us, you will lead the way. We have found a refuge only you can save. Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? stumble even when i fall even when i turn back still your love is sure you will not abandon you will not forsake you will cheer me onward with never-ending grace sing with joy now our god is for us the father's love is a strong and mighty fortress raise your voice now no love is against us if our God is for us. Neither high nor death can separate us. Hell and death will not defeat us. He who gave his son to free us holds me Neither high nor dead can separate us. Hell and death will not defeat us. He who gave his son to free us holds me in his love. Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us? 
thank you for this truth that you are God. There is no other. We thank you that being God, though you are holy and transcendent, perfect and righteous, you dwell with us. You are a God who has chosen to send his only son. And I pray, Lord, that just the truth of that and the joy of that would, would just fill our spirit and help us, Lord, to believe in the Son. Lord, even for us who've been walking with Christ Jesus for many years, we pray that you would just let us trust you in new ways this morning. Let us continue our faith in you. You preserve us. You protect us. You've proven that by your all-sufficient son who gave himself for us. We believe in you. time of desperation when all we know is doubt and fear there is only one foundation we believe we believe broken generation when all is dark you will but and there is only one salvation we believe we believe we believe God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion, we believe that He conquered death, we believe in the resurrection, and He's coming back again. We believe so.
in Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, you can be seated. Let's continue our time approaching the throne of grace. Father of mercies. You are the God of all grace. You are the God who is faithful, who is kind, who is true, set the boundaries of the oceans and marked the tops of mountains. Your design is perfect. You created in your wisdom. You sent Christ in your love. Thank you, Lord, for a God such as you who would be so kind and so generous to sinners, enemies, that you would send Christ and at the right time he would die for the ungodly. Lord, I confess my sins before you, the waywardness of my heart, the way I give over to anxieties, the way I desire control. Lord, I present these idols before you, that ultimately are rooted in self-love and a desire for self-worth that is apart from you. In Christ, we find forgiveness from every sin. And in Christ, we find a restoration that is beyond compare. Lord, you are making your church new creations. You have made them new creations by Christ's sacrifice. And each day, Lord, we struggle and many times we fall. But Christ struggled on our behalf. He is the one upon whom our sins were laid. In him we find true life, true fullness. Father, we thank you that because of Christ, we can come to you this morning to worship publicly, to be reminded of the gospel, and to praise you gladly. So, Lord, we offer our prayer requests to you, knowing that you hear us because Christ died for us. We love you, Lord. Lord, we just lift up this congregation. We thank you so much for the workers, the volunteers, and the turnout at BBS. We know that their hard work was not fruitless. We pray that the children that came that would remember the lessons, the songs, the scriptures, and the love that they experienced that week. Lord, we pray that you would grow all the little seeds that were planted that week and that they would come to know you. 
Lord, thank you so much for the Young Professionals Group, and we just thank you for Craig and Eric Linder's obedience in starting that group. We pray that this group would be a place where young professionals would find deep connections, support, and friendships, and you would help them come to a better understanding of you through this group, and we would help that they would know you more. Lord, we pray for those in our um, body that are just experiencing ailments and surgeries and illnesses. Lord, it's just a reminder that our bodies are finite. It's a, remember that our, a reminder that our true home is an eternity with you. So we pray for those who are suffering. We pray for quick recovery. But most of all, we pray for peace in their suffering. Let this draw them closer to you. And we pray that as a church, we would support them, care for them, love them. And we just pray that we would be um, a strength to our brothers and sisters who are going through trials. Amen. Father, we thank you for this the season of ministry in our church. And Lord, we, we are looking forward to um, the Pavcos coming and the covenant community here at Providence. Lord, thank you for Jim and his talents and his willingness to serve you and love others. And I thank you, Lord, for Sierra, for Josiah, for Ella. Lord, thank you. For, and we pray just as this transition occurs, Lord, that uh, you would receive all glory and honor, that it would be a delight to you, and that uh, we just thank you for the ministry you've prepared here among brothers and sisters uh, through the Pavcos. Lord, we, you establish our steps. We plan our way. But it is you alone who accomplishes your purposes, and they cannot be thwarted. So we thank you so much for the Pavcos. Lord, please bless them. We thank you, Lord, for our beloved Shaws. We're enjoying a little, little vacation. We pray, Lord, that you'd give them rest and peace, contentment in you, and allow them to be refreshed uh, over the weekend. We just thank you for Pastor Austin, the ministry he has among us, the way he encourages us, just the joy of you that emanates from him. We are so thankful, Lord. It's your work. And Lord, we lift up our beloved Randy Nickel as he brings uh, the word to bear on us this morning. And we pray, Lord, that we would not only uh, listen or, or hear, but Lord, we would, we would seek to apply, that we'd repent and turn to you. Lord, I pray for myself especially, Lord, that I would hear your word and that I would respond. That this would not just be a ritual or something we do on Sundays, but Lord, this would be um, transformation into Christ-likeness so that our joy would be complete and full and the world would take notice. Lord, we do lift up our evil day that we live in. Lord, the many half-truths and untruths and outright lies that are being spread, Lord, uh, among us and even within the church, we pray, Lord, that you would, as you have for millennia, continue to protect the truth of your word. Lord, protect our leaders here who seek to deliver sound doctrine so that the church would be edified and that Christ Jesus would be exalted among us. So, Lord, we pray that you would draw many to yourself. Lord, even, even any here who are unbelieving, who sit and are not sure why they're here or they don't want to be here, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, use your word to minister deeply to them. And, Lord, again, help us all to respond in true faith and repentance to the Son. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the time you prepared for us. We lift this up in Christ's name. Amen. Well, church, as many are able, let's stand together with gratitude for the word of God that we have. We're in Luke chapter 9, this morning, verse 18 to 36. 
Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. Well, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Christ's word. You can be seated. Thanks, Kevin. You're awesome. Good morning. No, I'm not Austin. I'm often confused for his much better looking younger brother, but... I'm not Austin. Thanks. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. I, I shared earlier at the first service, I do have a fear, and that the fear is that Rick, as a practical joke, will turn my microphone on during the singing and everyone else is off. And so I shared that, and after the first service, Kathy Folosi said, oh, no, Rick would never do that to us. He loves us too much. <laughs> so thank you, Kathy. Um, and I do have to say, I knew I had to preach today because with the international students, we went on a 26-mile bike ride this yesterday, and I knew I couldn't sit for very long during the service. Oh, my goodness. Yes, so anyways, it's good to be with you. As I prepared for today and looking as we uh, preach through the book of Luke, this passage, there's so much in this passage, and there's really four things that really stood out to me as I was preparing and so, uh, rather than just focus on one, I'm going to try to get through this. And there was four Ps that kept coming up in my mind. I don't usually have one letter that I use to um, kind of fit everything under in an outline, but it just kind of fell together. So, 
Um, today we're going to look at the person, the prediction, the path, and the perspective. Um, how many of you have ever heard a teacher or someone say there's no such thing as a bad question or there's no such thing as a stupid question? Have anyone ever heard people say that? Everyone, I hope, yes. Well, when I was preparing, I was looking at a couple of the questions that Jesus asks, and so I typed in, you know, greatest questions or greatest questions ever asked, and as you can imagine on the internet, there was a lot. And the first thing I started to read were some of the questions that were asked on Yahoo. Um, and I just started to laugh, and I started thinking, who, who asks these? Here's one of the questions. Are there birds in Canada? <laughs> like, really? Canadian geese? Uh, whatever. Okay, second one. Um, I think, I, I don't know uh, who asked this. Might have been Tommy Garrett. I'm not sure. But I was bitten by a turtle when I was a young lad. Can I still drink orange juice? <laughs> what? Um... Here's one. I think Doug asked this one. Is an egg a fruit or a vegetable? <laughs> okay. This one I thought was interesting. What animal is Sonic the Hedgehog supposed to be? <laughs> and then the last one, and I actually had a teacher come to me afterward and said, actually, that's, uh, that's new math. That's core curriculum. Here it was. Is there a possible way to make two plus two five? Uh, no. So anyways, I thought these questions, um, starting off, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets of long ago, who's come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. You know, one of the best uh, persons I've ever heard in presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ was a man by the name of Bob Mitchell. And Bob Mitchell was the president of Young Life in the late 70s and early 80s. But when he spoke, somehow you were in the passage. You were listening. It was, it was incredible. And at the end of his life, he just passed away a few months ago. He, I think, was working on or had talked about working on a book that he wanted to write about the questions that Jesus asked. Um, questions like, who touched me? Do you want to get well? And two of the questions were the questions we read today. I think, um, why would Jesus start with this first question? Who do the crowds say that I am? See, I think Jesus is starting with a funnel. He's starting wide and he's bringing his disciples in. So they, they, they're with him, that they begin to think about what's really the most important question. So he starts with, who do the crowds say that I am? And then he hops to the next question. Who do you say that I am? And this is the starting point for us. If followers of Jesus, this is where it all starts. You know, Jesus is teaching, his miracles, his healing, the crucifixion, resurrection, his ascension, all point to him being God in the flesh, the incarnation. If all of that's true, how we answer this question 
is the most important question we'll ever answer. And if we answer the way Peter did, he said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, then it's a life-changing question. It changes everything. Jesus doesn't really care. I think by asking the second question, he's showing, I don't care what the polls say or what newspapers say or what different TV stations or what people are tweeting or posting on Facebook. That's not what matters. What matters is who do you say that I am? If he's the Messiah, we should never live the same. If you've not wrestled this question to the ground, I'm asking, don't collect $200. Go back to start and wrestle this question. And don't base your answer on Jesus Christ on the fact that, the fact that you see hypocritical followers of his. There are people that have done so many things in the name of Jesus. Base it on who Jesus is. There was a video series a few years back done by a guy named Kyle Eidelman called H2O. In the very first episode of the series, he's standing, which you learn later is the Ohio River. And there's tires and trash, and the water's disgusting. And he's standing there looking as this water from the river laps up. And he's talking about the fact that if this was your only view of water, but if to understand water, you have to go to the source. And so later, he's standing by a stream on the top of a mountain where snow is melting. Maybe Colorado, I'm not sure, but and the water's melting. And as he stands there to realize, if, to see what it was meant to be like. If we want to understand Jesus, go to the source. Go to the person of Jesus Christ to understand him. Some of you may be saying, well, I believed in Jesus and who he is for many years. My question to you today would be, do you know him more today than you did when you first met him? His life is the focal point of human history. We base our date system on his life. We can't get past this question. Do you know him more? Is your understanding of him different? It is the pivot point for our lives. The first P is the person. We start with the person of Jesus. And by the way, we don't graduate from that. It's not like, okay, we started there. No, it starts and ends there. He is so great and so amazing. It's kind of like um, you've heard a little boy who's in Sunday school class, and the teacher asks the little boy, what is brown, has a bushy tail, collects acorns, and lives in a tree? And the little boy goes, well... I know it sounds like a squirrel, but the right answer is always Jesus. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? That's true for us. Jesus is always the right answer. The second P for today is prediction. And in verse 22, Jesus said this, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. First thing is Jesus is showing us here, he's showing us why he came. The crucifixion was not a surprise. 
that it was God's plan all along. He's telling him that he's going to suffer, he's going to be rejected, he's going to be killed, and then he says he's going to rise from the dead. You know, you could predict, I'm going to be mistreated, I'm going to be hated, the religious leaders are going to come after me, and eventually they'll kill me. You could predict that and be, and be right. But to predict that you're going to resurrect from the dead, no one can do that except for the one that created it all. For Jesus to say, I'm going to do all this and come back to life, wow. He's the only person that can conquer death itself. He uses the word in this passage, the son of man. And we often think the word son of man refers to his humanity, man. But it's actually the opposite. Jesus is referring to his deity, to being God in the flesh. In Daniel 7, 13 to 14, we read this, and this is in Daniel's vision. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. See, I think the religious leaders knew this passage. And they knew, he says, one like a son of man in Daniel 7. And he approaches the Ancient of Days and walks into the presence of God. Who can walk into the presence of God other than God himself? And so every time Jesus used that term, which was many, I think the religious leaders got it. And they were angry. If you jump with me in Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 12, John writes... And I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were bronze, glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand... He held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. We're going to come back to this in just a minute more in the Son of Man, but I, I think as we look at that, it says, who else came back to life? Who holds the keys to death itself, the thing that we fear the most? So the second point I want us to look at is prediction. Jesus predicted or knew exactly what was happening. He was always in control. We often paint the cross like poor, poor Jesus. Look at what these bad men have done to him. This was his plan all along. 
He didn't get stuck into a bad situation, but rather he orchestrated it. This is the reason he came. The third P. The third P is the path. And in verse 23, it says, He said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and the words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in the glory, the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. What does verse 23 say? Take a look in verse 23 when it starts. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple. That's us. That's us. Are we followers of Christ? Do we want to be followers of Jesus Christ? Whoever wants to be my disciple must. And then Jesus lists three things. He says this, deny themselves. What does that mean? Deny our selfish desires, deny our agendas for his. In obedience is to live for him and follow what Jesus wants for our lives. It is not about a bunch of rules that we just have to follow, but because we want to please him, we begin to live differently with him at the point. We give our agenda over to him. Deny ourselves. Point two, the cross. Take up your cross daily. Are you willing to face the worst that can be thrown at you and still be loyal to him? The worst things that could come at you, anything in our lives, illness and family and problems, struggles, and we remain loyal. Jesus took up the cross, and it was not for himself, but it was to follow God's will for the sake of all of us. We take up our cross each day, and it's not about our benefit, our comfort, or our security. It's about giving ourselves away for others. You know, this term, follow me, there's a lot of terms people use about what it means when they decide to be Christians or followers of Jesus. You hear things like, I committed my life to Christ. I accepted Christ. I was born again. I was saved. And there's nothing wrong with any of the terms, but all those terms have a past tense. Do they not? I committed. I received. Um, I was born again. I was saved. The word follow, which is what Jesus, I think it's 40-some times in the New Testament, Jesus used the word follow. Follow has a past tense. We began following at some point, but it also has a present tense. Am I following today? So many times I think our Christian lives are stuck on experiences that we experienced in our past. And those experiences are great, and we grow through those experiences. But are we following today? Our Christian lives aren't based on something that just happened in our past. Our understanding of Jesus should be changing and growing all the time. Are you walking the path today 
Are you just relying on past experiences? Lately, the elders have been reading a book on leadership by Paul Tripp. And the chapter on servanthood, um, I think it's four pages long, but Tripp lists literally verse after verse after verse about what it means to follow Christ and how difficult and how it's filled with, filled with suffering and, and hardship. It is difficult to follow Christ. But when you follow Christ, a servant has their master's agenda in mind. It's never about the servant's desires. In Luke 1, 26 to 38, Mary is there and the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. And she comes to him and he, he comes to her and he tells her all that's going to happen, which can you imagine? You're going to have a baby. God's the baby. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah. And, and okay, I got to go talk to my parents and to my fiance and Oh, my goodness. And then this is what she says in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And in the King James Version, the word servant, it reads, Behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. What is a handmaiden? Picture a banquet. And the, the master of the banquet sitting at the head of the table. And the handmaiden sits, stands off in the distance and watches. And so there's no conversations that need to be interrupted or whatever. All the master of the ceremony has to do, or the master, is literally make a hand motion. Oh, these people need more drink. Oh, I, I need you to come here. They watch. And when they make a hand motion, the servant is on it. That's what it means for us to follow Christ. We're watching. We're intent. We want to please him. We don't want to miss the signal when our, when our master speaks and when he calls us. Our eyes are fixed on him. In verse 24, it says this, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit their very self? When I was in college... Um, I read a book, it was life-changing, I loved it. It's a book called Through Gates of Splendor. And it's a story of five men, I think most were graduates of Wheaton College, I think, and they went to Ecuador, the jungles of Ecuador, to share Christ with a tribe, the Alca tribe. They were known to be killers, and it was incredibly risky. And these men were dropping gifts from planes and doing all these things, and finally, after months, decided to make contact. <coughs> Excuse me. And so they landed on the beach, and they are um, there to make contact, <clears throat> and news came back to the world later that the five men had been killed by the Alcas. Months and years later, Elizabeth Elliot, her daughter, and her sister-in-law went back to the tribe, and the Alcas all professed faith in Christ. And in fact, they said the reason we killed the men was because we thought they were here to harm us. But Jim Elliott, one of the men, wrote in his journal, and this is what he wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Have you ever heard the adage, he who dies with the most stuff wins? 
No, they don't. They just die. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain, to gain Christ, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Ultimately, following Jesus is not about acquiring, not about acquiring knowledge or possessions or experiences. It's not about striving or about our work ethic. It's not about saving ourselves or becoming worthy. Ultimately, it's about surrender. We quit fighting and put down our weapons of pride and self-centeredness, and we surrender to him. Whoever, in verse 26, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes to his glory and the glory of the Father and the Holy Ones. By the way, here we are back again to the term Son of Man. But he says this, that whoever's ashamed will be ashamed when it comes in his glory and the glory of the Father. I want to challenge us to think, as we follow Christ in this culture today, it's going to be harder. I think many people, as they hear that as followers of Christ, they oppose what Christ stood for. And so for us to be identified as one of his followers is going to be difficult. But I want to challenge us not to be identified as, oh, I'm from that church, or, oh, you know, I'm, I'm religious, or, oh, I, I like this speaker, but to be identified as one of his, to use his name. Over the last couple of years, I had an opportunity to meet with a bunch of uh, state reps that, in the state of Ohio, and uh, as part of what I was doing, and I would meet with these people, and I started to think, how can I let them know or represent Christ? And so one of the things I would say when I would meet with them is, as a follower of Jesus, I believe prayer is very important and powerful. Would you allow me to pray for you? No one ever said no, by the way. And in fact, one Jewish man looked at me and said, would you do that often for me? I need all the prayer I can get. But are you willing, not in a weird way, but to be identified as one of his, as you speak to people, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. By the way, in verse 27, it talks about how they'll see the kingdom of God. Those people standing there saw the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and Pentecost. They did see the kingdom of God and its arrival. The third P is the path. The path is narrow and difficult at times, but there is no place we'd rather be than walking with Jesus Christ. The final P is perspective. How does knowing who Jesus is change our perspective? So in this, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. He goes on top of the hill, and he's on top of the hill. The disciples are getting tired. They're starting to fall asleep, and at that moment, I don't know how Jesus goes nuclear. He's glowing, right? He's in his glory. By the way, does that sound like anything we've looked at today? Wait for it. Daniel 7, Revelation 1. Jesus is standing there with them and amazing as Moses, the giver of the law and the leader of the Exodus, and Elijah representing the prophets are there with them. They've been dead hundreds of years. I always wonder, how did, he, how did they know that's who they were? They'd never seen them. But anyways, they're there. And by the way, it says they're discussing Jesus's departure or Jesus's exodus. 
I think it's so neat that Jesus is talking about his exodus with them. Then it says this. Um, oh, and by the way, isn't it interesting that Moses and Elijah were two people that left this world in a different way? Elijah was taken up and Moses was buried by God. It says in verse 29, as he was praying, his appearance of his face was altered, his clothing became dazzling white, and, um, and then just like in Daniel 7 and in Revelation 1. The Son of Man, in Revelation 1, who was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His eyes were like blazing fire. This is the one we worship. This is the one we get to know. And as our understanding and perspective on him changes, so does the way we live. Imagine what those three thought as they went down the hill of what they had just seen. Their understanding of Jesus was dramatically different. Who can approach the ancient of days? Who holds the keys to death and Hades in his hands? It is Jesus who's God. I heard this story years ago. It was a story of about a, a man driving in his car many years ago, decades and decades ago, and he's driving in rural Michigan. Car breaks down. Farmer who's in his field nearby comes out to see how he's doing, and the two of them are working on the car, can't get it going. A man in a really brand new, really fancy car pulls up behind him, gets out dressed in an incredible suit, impeccable. And he walks up and says, can I help? Well, their first response was no. I mean, you don't look like you know mechanics. And so they keep tinkering, and the guy keeps looking at him and goes, let me just give you a hand. And he wicks in, he just tweaks in the engine for just a second, he goes, give it a shot, and the car starts right up. And they said, how did you know? He said, my name's Henry Ford. I designed the car. The perspective was different. When we see Jesus Christ for who he is, our perspective is different. My question is, for all of us, are we always seeing Jesus Christ? See, I think we're going to spend the rest of eternity getting to know Jesus. It doesn't just end here. He is so great and so grand and so amazing, the rest of eternity you're going to get to know him and learning about him and how incredible he is and his glory. At that point, <clears throat> Peter says, hey, let's build three tents. We're going to hang out here for a while. This is awesome. I get to hang out with Elijah and Moses and Jesus. This doesn't get any better. And I don't blame him. Then a cloud comes over and they hear God's voice. And what does Jesus do next? He takes them back down and Jesus is on his way to the cross. And guys, I would say great spiritual experiences are awesome and highs and we all love that, but that's not what we were meant to be or we're meant to stay. We're meant to go back into the world on mission and ministry, loving and caring for those that don't know him. And so Jesus takes them, instead of staying up there, he takes them back down into the valley. I remember a number of years ago, I was at a Young Life camp many years ago, 
and there was a young man there who had accepted Jesus Christ, and he said he didn't want to go home because he believed God lived there at camp. And it's like, but we don't. We don't stay there. God takes us back where we can have an impact for him. And Jesus heads to the cross. Jesus is not asking us to be committed to a sacred place, a spiritual experience. He never lets us stay in one place, and he takes us on a mission to share his love, and by doing so, to follow him more closely. We looked at the person, the person of Jesus, and how he is the pinnacle of human history, and what you decide about him and who he is is the most important question you're ever going to ask. We showed how Jesus predicted what he was going to do and predicted the fact that he was going to the cross and be resurrected. And that was his plan all along. We saw the path of discipleship to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. And we saw our perspective, how when we walk with Jesus Christ, he takes us back down into the valley. But as we know him, our lives change. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful that it begins and ends with you. It starts with the person and then our perspective that may we know you more and more that a year from now, Lord, our lives would not be the same as today because we're more convinced and more in love and more passionate about who you are. Lord, I, I ask that you would use this church to help others to see and know you. Lord, I pray that we would help us to learn to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow you. In your son's name, amen. Well, church, let's respond rejoicing, singing to the Lord.
until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is Boasted anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast it, Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an but this I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my ransom Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer But this I know with all my heart His wounds I paid my ransom His wounds I paid my Find that I may truly live 
benediction today we're gonna do something a little different when I was in Scotland once at a small little Presbyterian church a friend of mine Andy read for the congregation and it was um, called the breastplate of St. Patrick and I know we may all be Irish and we may not be Catholic but that's so Christocentric in what it's about and I love this prayer so I'll read the white portions if you will read the red and let's read this together Christ with me. 
Christ behind me. Christ beneath me. Christ on my right. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I arise. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every ear that hears me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through the belief in the threeness, through the confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Have a great Sunday, everyone. Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine.